And let, I'm going to start with a home improvement tip. Uh, now, you might say, well, how can... I've learned a lot of things through my mistakes. And, and maybe that's the way you've learned these things. So let's say you have a bench out in your garden. And this bench, its paint is faded. Uh, what are you going to do? You want to make that bench look better? Uh, if you're like me, your first impulse is to get some paint at the store and go out there and paint your bench. Not such a good idea. Why? Because that paint underneath eventually will start flaking. Until you paint over that old paint without sanding it off, without priming the surface, then uh, eventually that old paint will decide it's going to flake off. And it takes off the new paint with it. And it leaves it all spotty, right? And your bench looks worse than it did before it was just faded. Now, sometimes, and we are, I think, guilty of this as ministers in the church. Sometimes we don't say the same thing is true of people, of spiritual transformation. You see, it is very possible for you to think, or a person to think they're coming to Christ. And... They come to Christ and, and then start to say the right things, go to church every Sunday, uh, you know, say God bless you, uh, look like you're all cleaned up while the old has not been dealt with. And, and so someone rubs you wrong, uh, someone aggravates you, and the old comes snarling back out. It flakes out, right? It's... From the inside out, God needs to change us. He needs to transform us. Now, that's what I think of when I see uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I think of, of that process. And I will tell you, it's going to be, uh, I think, an unsatisfying Christian walk for you if, if it's all about what's on the outside. If it's all about trying to do what you think you should do, trying to say what you think you should say without that internal transformation. You see, I call that uh, the way we act, our outward appearance. That's external compliance. But external compliance is not enough. There has to be that internal work. So Paul begins this passage by talking about uh, how we were before Christ or how we are before Christ. And, and listen, you can have come up and have given your life to Christ and, and still be what I call a carnal Christian. You can uh, say and in, in, in your mind understand that you've accepted God, but you, and you, you're not living it. It's not apparent in the way you live. Life in Christ should affect how we live. And where is it that most of us live? It's not your street address. It's not the town in which you are domiciled. It is between your ears. Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, and in the Bible, the New Testament, the, the heart means the, the whole person, basically saying, out of your thoughts come the overflow, out of your mouth. And Jesus said if it's within us, within our minds, that we have to be changed. Paul says we need to renew our minds. And you're going to see that same thought here. So Paul begins in these first verses, verses 17 through 19, he begins to tell us about the world of those who don't have God. He calls it the life of the Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles in that time were the pagans. 
They were the people who didn't acknowledge God or who didn't live by God's ways. And so he tells us in these passages that we first have to change our thinking, that Jesus needs to change our thinking, verses 17 and 18. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. When he says I insist on it in the Lord, it actually is a legal term. It is I come as a witness. I come to bring testimony that you must you can't stay there and just apply a fresh coat of paint, a new name to yourselves, because that thinking is is doomed to failure, futility. It's not going to to work. It's going to fail. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts or the hardening of their hearts. They are darkened. That means it is obscured. Listen, thinking is absolutely essential. Thinking in a way that Christ comes out of you. So it's very important for you. I know we say this a lot because it's so fundamental. It's very important for you to to learn God's word. It's very important for you to hear biblical teaching. It's very important for you to read God's word and seek to interpret it as it originally was meant for its original audience. Part of our problem today in our world, and believe it or not, it's easy to understand, our world has been in, or our church has been influenced by the world. And I'm talking about the Big C Church. Uh, on Saturdays, I read the Faith Views uh, in the Kansas City Star. Yesterday, uh, those views were totally out of line with what the biblical understanding of marriage is. You can go back and look at it. it, it totally uh, far away from what the scriptural passages teach us about the nature of marriage. What so many do today, both non-Christian and wearing the name Christian, is read into Scripture what they want it to say. Read into Scripture what they want it to mean. Rather than uh, starting by what the Scripture is saying in its original intended language and meaning, and then pulling out, letting that change us. So we read the Word, and it changes us, not we bring our beliefs and read it into the Word and stay the same. Does that make sense? Uh, That's a process of thinking, a higher level of thinking that maybe we don't get when we first come to faith. Listen, the gospel is easy enough for a child to understand. But God does not mean us to stay as that, that, that thought process of when we were five or six years old. He means for our minds to be transformed, our minds to be grown, for our thinking to become that of God. As we read his words, as we allow his Holy Spirit to lead us in our thinking, to grow us in our thoughts, then we begin to, to think perhaps the way God does. That's what it means to renew your mind. We begin to, instead of be darkened, we begin to be enlightened in our understanding. Life in Christ should affect how we think. He changes our thinking from that before God to that after him. Secondly, he changes our vision. 
He changes our vision. It's in that same group of verses, but this time verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, obscured from seeing what is really the truth, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Vision is a lot about seeing what is right. It's also about seeing what is needed. It's having a vision not only for the way you're living your life, but the people around you. And being sensitive to those needs. Being empathic to those hurts. That's why so much here is about uh, the feeling words. And we're going to talk about feelings in a minute, but vision and feelings need to be connected. If we don't change our thinking, if we don't allow God to change our vision, to open the eyes of our heart, as it says in another place in Ephesians, if we don't allow God to do that, then we miss what's going on around us. And oftentimes, we bring not our empathy, but our judgment toward people around us who are struggling. We judge. Husband and his wife got up and ate breakfast together as they did every morning, and out their window, they could see their neighbor's yard. They could see their neighbor's clothesline. And so one day, they were there around the table sharing their morning coffee, and and they saw their neighbor uh, going out and hanging up her laundry. And the wife said, look at that. Look at her laundry. It is so dark. And what kind of soap does she use? Does she not know how to wash? The husband didn't say anything. This went on for a couple weeks. Every morning, the wife would say something about, look at that. That laundry looks drim. Uh, drim. I'm making up words. Drab and dingy. That's what I was, you know, do you do that? You put together words when you're trying to say one word? But I've told you before, preachers get to make up words. I mean, it's part of the job perks, okay? Drab and dingy. They got up the next morning and went out, and the wife said, look, look at the laundry today. It looks clean. She must have changed soap, or, or she must have learned how to, how to do laundry. And the husband said, no, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. So oftentimes, it's the vision of a Christian that needs to be altered. I think Christ changes us from being all about what's wrong to seeing what is right. And even more, from seeing what is to what can be. And and listen, you might feel down about where you are in life, about the decisions that you've made, about the state of things going on, but God sees what you can be. And he wants his people to see in others what can be. But the way of this world is to see things like they are and to condemn, to criticize, to judge. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you can slip back into that mode even after you've come to Christ. We don't want to do that. We want to change our vision. Thirdly, he changes our feelings. Verse 19, he changes our feelings. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That word in Greek means totally numb having lost all sensitivity. 
numb, I think, to anything that's going outside of us. Anything that doesn't affect us internally. And boy, that is the way of the world. It's the way of our culture today. Have it your way, Burger King tells us. You can be whatever you want to be. When feeling, in God's view, should be expressed and, and most clearly felt as we interact with others, as we build relationships with others. Losing sensitivity to what's going on in others' lives keeps the church from being the church. Feelings, empathy, compassion, kindness, all of that is not naturally seen in the world. But God wants to change that in us. He wants to help us open up that ability to empathize, to, to be with others, to walk in their shoes. Closely related, he changes our motivation. He changes our motivation again from verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Maybe you, like me, are, are horrified, really, by the drift in our culture. The things that 30 years ago uh, would never have been seen on TV or heard on the radio are now commonplace. I, I think that's because the world and even the church has increasingly become corrupted. Having the name Christ, but having the mindset, having the inner motivation of the Gentile. Friends, the only remedy for this world, the only remedy for dog-eat-dog, dog, every man for himself, the only remedy for that, I believe, is the heart of Christ expressed in his people. The motivation of Christ. That internal motor that Christ can give us. Not just appearing to be helpful and kind on the outside, but truly having that motivation within us. Our life in Christ should affect how we live. So he changes our inside. And then life in Christ should affect how we look. He should affect how we look. Now, I'm not talking about clothes, although this passage clearly has that in mind. This passage uses a Greek word which literally means to take off your old clothes and to put on your new ones. We take off our old clothes, but what he's talking about is we take off our old life. We, we get rid of it. We need to, to say goodbye to it. Verses 20 through 22 we take off those old clothes. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is to be being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To put off your old self. To change your clothes. I would never come up here and preach before you in a swimsuit. It'd be inappropriate and maybe not much to look at. I, I, I don't mind wearing what I wear. I even preach to you in t-shirts sometime. Uh, but that's not appropriate to have swimwear here. You would not go if you were a firefighter to fight a fire in flip-flops. 
and cutoffs. You wouldn't go to uh, do your job as an operating room nurse or doctor uh, with dirty, grungy clothes on. He says here that, that we have to shed, we have to say goodbye to that old stuff. We have to say goodbye to that old thinking, that old way of seeing, that old way of, of understanding the world. We have to put it off. And in its place, we put on our new clothes, our new life, verses 23 through 24, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, to be made new. Renaissance means to be reborn. And it was a time, the Italian Renaissance, where art flourished. It bloomed because artists started, painters started to see their art as something that needed to, to grow, that needed to change. Likewise, I think understanding this, putting off the old, uh, begets the replacing it with something. It's very dangerous uh, to try to change without replacing. I'll tell you the challenge sometimes we've had here. I had it when I first became a Christian. The challenge we have is that we understand that something's wrong. Pascal says there's a God-sized hole in all of us. We understand that and maybe we hear the truth of the gospel and we understand it as a child and, and we say, yes, Lord, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord and Savior. I, I'm, I'm baptized into you. But we still have our old friends. We still have our old neighborhood. And without new, the old can stagnate. It can become even worse. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. Say you have a demon and it's cast out of you. And you don't replace it with anything new. That that demon will wander through the arid wastelands and, and if it can't find a place to go, it will come back to you and, and see you inside, maybe swept up and cleaned up, but will come in and seven other demons with it. Basically, he's saying, as you get serious about your faith, then you need to be serious about the people you're around. You need to be serious about the, the radio that you listen to. You need to be serious about the things that you put into your mind and into your heart. You need to be made new. And the beauty of this is, is what God says. All of us, no matter what you do for a living, no matter where you've been, all of us were created in God's image. All of us were created for true righteousness and holiness. Do you get that? Maybe today it's hard for you to think of yourself and the words righteous and holy in the same sentence. If God says that to us, writing through the apostle, if he says that to us, he means it. Each one of us were created to do marvelous things for him. Each one of us were created to grow in righteousness and holiness. You know, I did some reading this week on the monarch butterfly. Several things you might not know. These are beautiful butterflies. I'm sure you've seen them. They particularly, and one thing I didn't know until I read this week, 
all monarchs uh, or butterflies, they're attracted different species to one particular kind of plant. Uh, monarchs love milkweed, <clears throat> and so they are attracted to milkweed. And the monarchs are known for their migrations, their amazing migrations over thousands of miles. And somehow, internally, they know how to go on those migratory patterns, and they travel the same way every year. But did you know that it's not the same butterfly over the 12 months of migration? There are four generations of monarch butterfly every year that travel that pattern. And even more, if you understand the life cycle of a monarch, it's amazing. They begin life as an egg, and they grow first into a, a caterpillar, five different stages of caterpillar. As they grow, all they basically do is eat. They're planted, their eggs on the leaves of the plants that they're attracted to, and all they do is eat. They eat, eat, eat for about two weeks through five stages. And then they grow into a chrysalis, not a cocoon. Moss, some moths have cocoons, but butterflies grow into a chrysalis, kind of an animated or a, a suspended state where inside their body changes from being something that has lots of, of little legs and looks like a worm to growing wings, beautiful black and white wings, and they emerge a butterfly. But the first three generations of monarch butterflies only live for about four weeks, flying around, mating, laying more eggs. That fourth generation lives for six or eight months to make it to start the cycle again. But what I want you to, to hear from that is this, that if God can change an object, a creature, from an egg to a caterpillar to a butterfly, don't you think he can change you? And even more, what I thought so interesting about the generations is God needs us to be changed because there are generations coming behind us. He needs us to be butterflies. Us to be striving to be the beautiful creatures created in righteousness and holiness that he wants us to be. See, it is not about external compliance, doing the right things. It's about internally being transformed. And then we understand what really matters. I brought some things for you. I entitled the sermon Show and Tell. I brought some things that kind of show you, I think, the growth in my life. This jacket is, is 35 years old. One of the oldest pieces of clothing I have. It has a, a big SG on it. You can't see it for all the gaudiness. But this was my... Now, we were the Comets at South Bennett High School. That's a terrible mascot name. Well, go Comets! You know, I can get behind tigers. I can even get behind mules. But Comets, not so much. But... This jacket, you see in it what was important to me. You see in it that, for me, it was about covering my chest with medals and all these achievements. I mean, there's a beta club pin on it. It was about proving to everybody else that I was something. Is that what life's about? Is that what really matters in life? This shirt 
is from about 10 years later, 1990. So it's pretty close, the oldest. It has a picture of Babe Ruth on it. It was from a, a youth event we, we did in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, we rented out the minor league Cardinals Stadium, and we invited youth from all over the area. We had about 500 kids there, and I spoke at it, uh, and it, was, it had a baseball theme to it. And I'm saying to you, God had done a lot of me in 10 years from when I was all about appearance. He, he, had, he had started to change me. But even then, I, I think I still was about numbers, you know. It was about growing a bigger church. It was about having a bigger membership. It was about having a lots and lots of decisions. It was about having a bigger budget. But is that really what it's about? No. What it's about is Jesus living in me and through me. Me being a vessel for him. As he changes my thinking, as he changes my feelings, as he changes my motivation, it becomes about me being a vessel, about you being a vessel, How about us growing from all about us caterpillars to all about those around us, that they might see the beauty of God in us, that God can change us from ugly to beautiful. Fathers, we think about these things today. I pray that you've helped us. Maybe, maybe we have not given our life to you yet. Help today to be the day of salvation. But maybe for others of us, we realize in some ways we're playing at church. We haven't stripped away the old we haven't sanded away the flesh. I pray that we'll open ourselves up today to putting away the old and to grow in the newness of life you want to give us. This day, Lord, I pray that we are pliable. I pray that we are willing to die to self that we might be transformed from within. I pray that all the world might see each of us and know that Christ lived in us and through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.